stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. You can't sit down to watch a sporting event without seeing them. Countless commercials, even studio segments, promoting betting on the games. So the question is, were we too hasty in allowing single-game betting in Canada? What are the downsides? On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we explore the new reality of sports gambling in Canada and what it all means. Here's your host, Craig Needles. Single-game sports betting has been around for decades in various forms. Maybe it involved bets at a bar, or perhaps even using a bookie and the risk of having your leg broken if you couldn't pay up. Maybe more recently, online bets with websites based outside of North America. All these options are flawed and carry with them an element of risk, but people still made their bets. It's not something that was ever going to go away. According to the federal government, Canadians spend upwards of $10 billion a year betting on single games in both the grey and black markets. There's a lot of money going to criminal organizations because of that. So in 2013, Member of Parliament Brian Massey decided it would be better if the government made single-game sports betting legal so these bettors would be better protected and those offering the bets would be regulated. His first attempt at getting a private member's bill passed failed. He eventually tried again. The second attempt in 2016 also ended in failure. But in 2020, there was a major push from both members of Parliament and leaders from the top five sporting leagues in North America to legalize single-game betting in the country with the objective of steering Canadians away from illegal offshore betting. In 2021, Parliament passed C-218, finally ending the ban on single-game sports betting. In 2022, Ontario became the first province to allow external sportsbook apps to do business inside of Canada. From there on after, it became very clear which apps those were. We see them on our TVs non-stop, our social media feeds, on billboards, sides of buses. We cannot escape these sportsbook ads. They attach celebrities, athletes, personalities, people we know to the product in order to gain our trust. To find out what has changed in the world of sports betting since its legalization, we talked to Rob Pizzola, a professional sports better and COO and co-owner of BetStamp, a sports app designed to help bring an edge to bettors. Typically, People in Ontario would be familiar with ProLine. You could go to your local convenience store and bet on games. Uh, But there was no single game betting or single event betting. You had to parlay things, which means that you had to make, you know, put a bunch of different combinations onto a ticket. There's also been the illegitimate betting in the space, which has been very prominent, whether that's uh, betting through a local bookie where you meet up once a week to settle, whether it's him paying you or you paying him. Uh, And then there's also been offshore sports books who operate in uh, what's a gray market in Canada, where it's not legal, but it's also not illegal. Depending on where they're located, they can kind of get around those operations and so on and so forth. So that all changed on April 4th because of regulation. And now operators in Ontario are required to get a gaming license and pay taxes on any revenues that they make. So now this has opened it up to a wide audience. You get a lot of major US uh, and worldwide corporations, UK, Australia, coming into Canada with massive marketing budgets. We're talking millions of dollars a month that they can spend in marketing. Um, and you see an influx of advertisements. You can't go really anywhere without, you know, I'm, I'm driving on the highway and I see billboards for uh, sports books now. So uh, really they're trying to spend as much money as possible to get as much market share as possible. Uh, but because of that, it does definitely become a little bit oversaturated. You have major sports media uh, networks uh, such as Sportsnet and TSN 
um, who are paying the bills through advertising in a, in a lot of ways. They have to pay for the hockey deals and the basketball deals and so on and so forth. So when all of this new money appears in market and these sports books are willing to spend, they're going to take that money uh, and they're going to run with it, essentially. These ads are seen by a lot of people and they're clearly effective. Judging by the number of people who have sustained the risk of previous betting markets, both gray and black, it's clear that sports bettors are always going to find a way to put some kind of action on the game. So what makes it so much fun? What draws so many people to it? Why is it worth the potential risk of losing hundreds or in some cases, even thousands of dollars? There's definitely an engaging component to it. Like you think about a league like the NFL, the NFL doesn't exist without fantasy sports and without sports betting. There's just so much of the engagement that's driven towards that league has to do with the betting component or fantasy sports component. I don't know. It's just like a little bit of an adrenaline rush, something that where you can enjoy the game a little bit more. It's, it's always been difficult for me to, to understand why I've had such a passion for it. Um, part of it just stems from naturally being a sports fan. And then I think there's like an egotistical component that kind of goes with it as well, where I think sports fans by nature um, just like to be able to predict things and feel like they, they know their sport and understand it. And I think the entertainment value, I think it's a combination of all of these things. But ultimately, I do think that there is an ego within the sports fan where they just like to be able to predict things better than others. I do think that part of the appeal for the better is to be able to watch their bets in action. And that's why live betting is is taking off too. I mean, if we look at the live betting versus pregame betting handle splits from a decade ago, it was heavily skewed towards pregame. Now, if you talk to most sports books, they would say it's pretty close to 50-50 in terms of their overall handle live versus pregame. So definitely, I think the allure of being able to watch something increases the appetite to bet on it. Traditionally, somebody may be interested in soccer or baseball or hockey or all of the above. And their interest in watching the sport may lead them to bet on it. Now, with technological abilities to stream absolutely anything anywhere, people find themselves watching niche sports in order to place a few bets. Now, those are a little less common, but those bets exist. And with massive markets that these sports books can cover, it's only natural that it's becoming normal to bet on any sort of event like this one. You can even place bets on OHL hockey while you're sitting at the rink watching the Knights or Spitfires or whoever you're seeing. It really is a new era of sports betting, and Rob has found the same thing. I mean, I personally experienced that as well. When uh, COVID hit back in March 2020, North American sports went away. I started betting on uh, Korean baseball, KBO, because I could find live streams on it uh, at the sportsbook that I was betting at. I started to bet on volleyball. I started to bet on table tennis. So yes, I mean, naturally speaking, there are people that are obviously betting games and not watching them. There's there's the problem gaming component, there's professionals, there's people that are, are just fine doing that. But most people do want to watch what they bet on. That's part of the allure of sports betting. So now if you can start to offer them uh, different live streams, different things that they can watch, it does increase the appetite for someone to want to bet on that and just to make it a little bit more interesting. So that's definitely the industry tr trend right now. Lots of sports books are looking for uh, rights to digital streams for all sorts of things. The competition in the field means that there are opportunities to get an edge, but you have to know what you're doing. The most common mistake someone will make is deposit into one sportsbook and continuously bet at that sportsbook. So what Betstamp does is essentially serves you which sportsbook has the best line or the best odds on whatever you want to bet. So if you want to bet the Toronto Blue Jays today, you could quickly open up on a daily basis is you actually have what are called arbitrage opportunities 
where you can actually bet both sides of the same game and guarantee yourself profit by doing so. Because each sports book manages their own risk and liability independently of another. There might be one sports book that everyone's betting the Jays there. So they're now going to inflate the odds on the Blue Jays because they weren't want to encourage someone to bet the other side. Whereas at another sports book, maybe everyone's betting against the Blue Jays there. Now they might lower the odds on the Blue Jays because they're trying to balance their, their action as much as possible. So that's the beauty of being an Ontario better right now is we have access to so many different sports books with so many different odd sets. This is by far the easiest way for someone to go from being a losing better to a winning better, or for someone to go from being like a really bad losing better to a marginally losing better. So I very much practice what I preach. I'm a professional sports better. I bet at as many different sports books as humanly possible, because that gives me the best chance to succeed in the long run. Now, I would never suggest to somebody that's a recreational better, you need to go deposit into all 30 sports books in Ontario. But there is a big advantage to what we call line shopping. Um, and this is just price sensitivity is all it is. So let's, let's use a real life example nowadays, but the price of gas in Ontario is, is crazy, right? Um, and we've seen, we've seen it only escalating over the course of the past several months. If you had four gas stations, uh, one on each corner of an intersection, all three were charging you two twenty a liter, and one of the gas stations was charging you a dollar eighty cents. You would go to the one that charges you a dollar and eighty cents. You can study as many lines as you want, and it does bring you an edge. But this is what happens when a pro is using that edge. So what I want to do as a pro sports better is just accumulate good positions. Essentially, what that means is if I bet a game at minus one ten, and when that game starts the line is minus 130, I've made a very good bet because the market has told me that my number is valuable. If I bet a game at minus 110 and it goes off at minus 110, I have not made a good bet. The market is saying, you know, this, this price that you bet at is actually what the price should be. So what I look to do is get involved in as many sports as possible and essentially beat the market. I can do that by using my own models. I can also do that purely by line shopping. In addition to line shopping, it also helps to carefully watch the news and try to react faster than the gambling market. News related, any, anything that breaks like from an, a news perspective is your best chance to get an edge in sports. Now, for the most part, if you're betting like the NHL, let's say, and Austin Matthews is out for the Leafs, you probably have about 15 seconds to bet the Leafs before the entire market is going to move. But sometimes you'll have secondary markets, which you can bet on quicker. So, you know, just an example, if Austin Matthews is out, everyone's going to rush to bet whoever beliefs are playing the opposite side. Everyone's going to rush to bet the under. But what I would say is if, if as a sports fan, you can't react to that immediately. Well, who's going to get those minutes? John Tavares is going to go up to first line center. Every sports book's offering John Tavares shot props. So now you can find an over two and a half John Tavares shots where nobody's really betting that everyone's rushing to bet the more obvious stuff. So just kind of like thinking outside the box in terms of, of what you can bet happens pretty regularly. If you get the right advice, get the right breaks, you line shot, maybe you can get some good odds and some potential big wins. I've, I've definitely had several big wins. Most of those end up being on futures. You know, just an example, Tom Brady announces he's coming back out from retirement with the Bucks. 
immediately my first instinct. Most people will take to social to react about Tom Brady coming back. My first instinct is to open up every single sports book, see who's offering Super Bowl futures and where I can find the Bucks at the best price. So I'm going into this year with Bucks 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl with Tom Brady as their quarterback. They're currently priced 8 to 1 now. I don't bet a ton of futures, but those would be obviously uh, bets that last the duration of an entire season or, or so on and so forth. Um, my biggest win ever was a golf winner. It would have been the Super Bowl, the day of the Super Bowl between the Eagles and Patriots, where Nick Foles beat the Patriots. Um, they had the waste management open. Gary Woodland won as an 80 to one long shot. And I had a pretty big ticket on him. So that was a, a huge score for me on Super Bowl Sunday. That's definitely my biggest win. However, these pros have formulas and charts to help them bet. The average better is still going to lose money in the long run. These sports books make millions of dollars directly from us when we lose. With the excess amount of sports betting content on your television and on your phone, it's accessible and it's easy to start betting big numbers quickly. That really brings into focus the need for people to protect themselves. What you can do at most sports books is actually set deposit limits for yourself. So you can deposit into a sportsbook operator uh, within the settings. You can say, don't allow me to deposit more than $20 a week or a month or a year or whatever. And I would highly encourage that for anyone who has addictive personalities uh, for everyone else. I think you got to, the you know, I made this mistake in my youth as well, thinking that because I know sports, that this is just easy money. And all of a sudden I'm going to be able to jump into this. And I watch so, so many sports. How can I not predict the outcomes of these games? And it's just not that easy. I grew up around betting. It was very prominent in my high school and in university. I have a background in sports media. I started as a producer and an on-air personality for the score, eventually transitioned into a uh, product management role for the score's mobile app. But all the while, I was losing money betting on sports for a long time to the point where I just kind of had to take a step back and say, I really enjoy sports. I want to win at it. Uh, but whatever I'm doing is not is, is not you know showing any success. Um, so I took several years off and I started to take a mathematical approach to sports betting. Rob was able to step back and self-assess his sports betting patterns with results much more successful than most. But what happens for the people who can't objectively analyze how they're doing, or in some cases, they simply refuse to? Diana Gabriel is a Canadian certified problem gambling counselor at the Center for Problem Gambling and Digital Dependency at Hotel de Grace Hospital in Windsor. She reminds us of the dangers of becoming addicted to sports betting and gambling. Those are all important to keep in mind when we're being bombarded with sports betting ad after ad after ad in our everyday lives. The vast majority of sports betting is taking place on the internet. So there are various elements that is built into the various platforms on the internet that essentially hijack the neurobiology of one's brain to keep their attention on the screen and engaged in the gambling activity. There's also the social aspects of uh, sports gambling in terms of, you know, getting together with friends and watching a game and betting on the game and the high excitement associated with that. Um, then as time goes on, there's different aspects of the practice that, um, that start, um, start the progression into problematic gambling. So over time, the person may, um, start developing a tolerance for the game. You know, one of the reporters I, I saw on a, 
on a gambling episode I saw years ago said that there's the 10 times the amount of potency in a gambler's brain when they're exposed to gambling as there is for a hit of heroin. Yeah, that's pretty significant. So that the hit that a person gets when they're engaging in, in gambling behaviors um, releases such a high amount of dopamine in, in the brain that it's equivalent to taking, you know, heroin. Only the potency is 10 times the amount. With so many sports betting ads, one of the dangers is making gambling seem entirely harmless, part of your everyday life. That is a major red flag for Diana. Well, I think one of the things that's most concerning is that they make it look really glamorous and it's fun and it's fast money and you're going to be winning all this money and, and be a big shot. And, you know, one of the things that disturbs me is, as I mentioned earlier, seeing Wayne Gretzky on the screen promoting gambling is disturbing because like he's been an iconic Canadian hero for decades and yeah. children and young people and older people alike look up to him as this pinnacle of, um, you know, what a good successful person looks like. Right. And there he is on the screen promoting gambling. When you have an ad with a major celebrity attached to it, and the tagline is, with every tap, a new legend is born, it certainly sounds like gambling's an incredible rush, but the downsides are clear, even if those commercials don't make it obvious. It, it, I find it distasteful, personally. And a number of my clients have expressed their dismay and disappointment at seeing him on the screen promoting the gambling. You know, when superheroes of our culture are promoting this kind of behavior, you know, young people are not recognizing how dangerous it could potentially be for them, especially when the promotion is done in such a way where there's no education whatsoever to alert people to the potential dangers. There's no limit to who can see these ads. If you're watching a game, chances are you're going to see a lot of gambling commercials. This means you and everybody watching with you are going to be exposed to gambling advertisements while watching whatever your favorite sport happens to be. There's some aspects, too, of how the sports betting tends to be gamified. So um, just like there's video game dependency, there's certain elements within the platforms and the games themselves that hijack the brain, the reward system, for example, and, and all the lights and the status and the avatars and you know there's so many different features within a gaming app that can um, overtake a person's sensibilities if you will and these things are embedded in the gambling apps as well um, and so kids will recognize all these different features and especially if the kids already gaming and most kids do game to some extent um, that makes it even more appealing for them because they recognize, oh, I can do this. And it's just like this game and I have the skills already and I'm going to be really lucky and I'm going to win. So, you know, it, it encourages kids to engage in these adult activities without the education or the understanding about the ramifications of it. It's one thing to play a video game um, where you might have some microtransactions if there's any kind of um, uh, money exchange at all versus going into a gambling game 
where there's lots of money potentially that can be played. It's not always easy to see when things start getting out of control. If betting becomes a daily habit, when does it move from being a fun activity on a Friday night to an addiction? So, for example, they may start uh, spending more and more money on um, on the bets that they're placing. And they're spending more and more time doing research and, and watching games and engaged in the gambling activity. And there's a preoccupation. So even when they're at work or with their families or doing other things, they're still thinking about the upcoming game. They're thinking about the stats. They're thinking about how can I get more money to lay these bets? And they're thinking about how can I pay back the money I've already borrowed? Or how am I going to get more money so that I can continue gambling? Um, they will start gambling alone and they, they start neglecting their friends and their family and the gambling becomes the primary activity in their lives. Um, they'll start compromising their uh, primary relationships, you know, oftentimes because of the neglect with the family. Um, family members will start getting upset because people are not showing up at family events. They're not present. They're ignoring the family and not following through with uh, commitments. Some other signs that the gambling is becoming, you know, problematic for them is that when they do try and cut back or stop, they find themselves unable to do so and they get restless and irritable. And then, um, you know, some other dangerous signs is that when they do lose money, they'll try and go back the next day and win that, win that money back. Um, they'll start lying and concealing the extent of their gambling, which, of course, jeopardizes their significant relationships. And um, the gambling activity will supersede almost everything else in their lives. So... It can jeopardize their job, their work, their education. And finally, if um, they're spending more and more money, they may rely on others to bail them out or to alleviate any desperate financial situations that may have been caused as a result of the gambling. For sports bettors who might be struggling, Rob has some advice. For the vast majority of people, they, they need to come into sports betting with the expectation that this is more so for entertainment than it is to win money. And if people approached it in that sense, they'd have a lot more fun with it. I tell people this all the time. I, I hear people, um, I always hear people say, um, you know, sports betting is entertaining. Sports betting is fun. I strongly disagree. I think winning is entertaining and winning is fun. I don't think losing a bunch of bets in a row, you know, losing rent money and stuff like that is very entertaining or fun for someone. And people need to realize that. I would strongly, strongly encourage people to line shop because it is the best way to stretch out your bankroll over time. And honestly, if you're on the cusp of becoming a winning better, it is the one piece of advice that is so easily follow followable that could potentially vault you into being a winning better. It will improve your state of mind. If you're approaching it from an entertainment point of view, fine. But once you consistently start losing, it's not going to be fun. So you, you do want to do you know, I'm not suggesting everyone becomes a professional or, or, you know, reads books about sports betting, but you want to try to absorb as much good information as possible to enhance your experience. 
sports betting can be fun and it can be exciting, but also could be very dangerous. In summary, there's an insanely fine line between fun and dangerous, and it's very important to keep this in mind when you're placing your bets or signing up for a new website. Like many other things, moderation is key. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Craig Needles and was written by Patrick Magermans and Haley Chang. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.